This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Happy Sabbath. Glad I'm one of the first people to say that today because after a while it kind of gets old. No, 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 not that the Sabbath gets old, but you know, you keep saying happy Sabbath all the time. Okay. Um, several people asked me yesterday, how do you say your name? So I'm going to do it one last time. Uh, listen very carefully, for I shall say this only once. Okay. My name is Sikululegi Leslachwayo. Last time I'm doing it for anybody. Okay. Um, my, my first name actually means we are free. And I'm thankful for a name like that, especially because I found freedom in Christ, so the name actually means something. Um, It's my prayer as we're going to start our study this morning that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Uh, The message that that we have for this morning uh, needs some special help from God on my part and I think on all our parts. Um, So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll delve into it. Loving Father, it's a blessing to be here on the Sabbath day. It's a blessing to be able to worship you. And Lord, we pray that as we open the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Um, Lord, you said that you would send the Holy Spirit, um, and we believe that you already did. And since we've come into a house of worship, we know that you're already here. We just pray this prayer to open our hearts, to receive the word that you have for us, and to be blessed by your presence. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Genesis chapter 16, and we're starting from verse 1. The Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram Hearken to the voice of Sarai. Unfortunately, in all the stories that I've shared from the Bible, the women are a bad influence. It's not always like that, I I don't think. (laughs) Uh, And and we don't have to be a bad influence, right, women? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. But unfortunately, in this situation, God had given a promise to Abram and Sarai. And she says, okay, you know what? God gave us this promise, but clearly... He's not fulfilling it through me, so maybe there's something we can do to help God out. Maybe there's something we can contribute in the fulfillment of the Word of God. Maybe, maybe we can bring something to the table in this situation. And sadly, Abram listened to his wife. Um, I've heard from my married friends that husbands should always listen to their wives because they're always right. The Bible says no, so I don't know. I, I say that I'm not married, so I, <laughs> I, I have no, uh, no uh, uh, 
it won't affect my life negatively, is what I'm trying to say. Abram listens to his wife, and he goes into the maid, and they have a child, and his name is Ishmael. Chapter 17, verse 15, God comes to Abram again, and he's, he's reiterating the promise that he had already given him earlier. And in verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her. And give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. God had already initially given the blessing that I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and said, okay, that's nice. And, and then he said, well, we don't have any kids. How about my servant Eliezer? God said, no, you, I'm going to bless you with a nation coming from you, Abram. And then they waited and they said, well, you know, this blessing isn't coming, so maybe we can do something else, like... And then he says, in verse 17, Abraham, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? So Abraham, Abraham tries to reason with God and he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, No, you don't understand. When I said I was going to bless you, Abraham, I meant you corporately, you and your wife are one flesh. So I didn't mean I'm going to bless you through some other woman. It should be understood because you know that God created man to have one woman. So it should be understood. And, and, and all this time you're still struggling with this. And he says, no, I'm going to give you an heir through your wife, Sarah. You see, when God gives a promise, sometimes we, we try in our own strength to fulfill that promise. Whereas God is capable of fulfilling the promises that he gives. So in Genesis chapter 12, let's go there and read the promise that God gave to Abraham. Verse 1, it says, And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. God gives this promise, right? And he says, okay, um, here's the deal, Abram. I'm calling you out to, to become the father of many nations. And here's how it's going to go down. I am going to bless you. I will make thy name great. I will do this for you. I will do this. And here's what I want you to do. Here's your part of the deal. You obey me. God said, I will be responsible for your future. I'll be responsible for what happens in your life. All that I want for you to do is to obey me because you trust me. And so in Hebrews 11, when it talks about Abraham as a, as a father of faith, and it says, by faith, is that me? Oh, okay. Uh, we have smart people, they'll fix it. Um, the Bible says, by faith, 
The Bible says by faith. Uh, <laughs> That Abram went out from his hometown and he sojourned in the land of promise as if he was a stranger. By faith, he obeyed what God was asking him to do, even though he had no clue where he was going to be living, even though, even though God had promised him these things and he wasn't seeing the results of it right there and then, but he did it by faith. Because why? Because he trusted God. So God says to him, Abram, look, here's the deal. I am going to bless you. All you have to do is obey me. And obey me because you, you trust me. And this concept of God being the one who determines our lives and who determines our future, it's a hard thing for a lot of us. Because, you know, we have plans for our lives. We have, we have, we have the, 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 the cookie cutter thing that we want to accomplish. And, and sometimes it's kind of hard to surrender that to God and say, okay, you know what, Lord? All I need to do, all you're asking me to do is to trust and obey you. Everything else, I leave in your hands. That may sound a little extreme, but I mean it. I mean it because it's in the Bible. So... So my plan is to go to medical school and be a rich doctor, right? But maybe God says, that's not how I want to use you in my work. Maybe God wants you to go be a janitor in a conference office. <laughs> so everybody needs to be a lawyer or a doctor. I, I keep picking on doctor because Adventists, everyone becomes a doctor. You know, I no lawyers, engineers... <laughs> We need more of those people. But, you know, okay, I want to be a doctor or maybe a lawyer. Uh, and God says, no, I want you to be a mechanic. Look, I've gifted your hands. You have skills. I, I was complaining to a friend of mine um, that a lot of times when we talk about Adventists in the professional world doing amazing things for God, it's like, where are the mecha mechanics? Where are they? Where are the mechanics who are so excellent in their mechanicizationing that, <laughs> that people run to their mechanic place? I'm a girl, okay. Um, <laughs> um, bad excuse, I know. But where are they? Where are the people who are excellent in whatever trade they pick up? And sometimes I think we're living mediocre lives because we're following somebody else's dream for our life. We're following what society says we should do. And what, not what God said. And so God says, Abram, it doesn't make sense to anybody else. I'm going to ask you to leave your family behind. I'm going to ask you to leave all your extended family, your relatives. I'm going to ask you to leave everything that is comfortable about your life. And you're going to go wander in a wilderness. For what? For a promise that you're not even going to see the fulfillment of in your day. But Abram trusted God. And because he trusted God, he obeyed. Now turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter 28. Ezekiel, chapter 28. And we'll start in verse 12. Ezekiel 28, verse 12 reads, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. And then he lists the stones. In the middle there, he starts the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And this is the part that I'd like us to focus on. God says, and I have set thee so. God says to Lucifer, you are this anointing cherub that covers, and that is the place that I gave you. That is the role that I gave you. That is, that is your purpose. For, that, that's, that's my plan for your life. But let's turn to Isaiah 14, and some of you know where this is going. Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? And this is what was going on in Lucifer's heart. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. In his heart, he said, okay, this is the position you've given to me, but this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to become. Covering cherub, eh, I want to be something else. And we have the same problem. We have the same problem. This is my plan for my life. And, and even though God has said something else, even though it may be God is calling me to something else, no, I want to make something of myself rather than trusting that God will be the one who makes me. You know, I, I just need to share this uh, quotation. This is going to be a paraphrase quotation because I didn't search it out before coming up here. It's in uh, Adventist Home, and Ellen White is talking to parents. And she says, you know, we have this great commission. We have a gospel to preach to the world. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? We have the three angels' messages, this precious trust that God has given to us as a movement. And then she said, in light of this, in light of the gospel commission that God has given to us, in light of this fact, how can we educate our children for lives of respectable conventionality? Do you understand what she's saying? She's saying if your only goal is to get a job, get married, and that's it. You've arrived. She's like, how can we do that as God's people? Knowing what we know. How can that be our goal in life? How can that be the end all and the be all? Yes, now you know, I'm a great Christian. And, and I read an article. It was not by a Seventh-day Adventist. And I was, I was surprised to read this. But in this, it was a blog, actually. And this guy was saying, he was saying, you know, we're not raising... Uh, how do you say? He said, we're not raising Christians, we're raising good citizens. 
He said, we're raising kids not, not to trust God, obey Him, depend, depend upon Him. We're raising kids who will do right, do the right thing. Who will pay their taxes. We're raising kids who will be nice to their neighbors and take them cookie or, or vegan cookies, the peanut butter kind. He said, we're not raising Christians. And I read that, and I thought, my. We have the same problem in our church. We're not raising Christians. We're raising good citizens who will do the right thing. And then we grow up as kids, and, and that's my only goal in life. Look, there is a purpose that is higher than just respectable conventionality. There can be more to life than just that. More to life than that. But it means that we've got to trust God. It means that I've got to say, Lord, I am willing to do whatever it is that you ask me to do. Go wherever it is that you ask me to go. My life is in your hands. And I want to challenge parents... Let's raise Christians, amen? Let's raise Seventh-day Adventist Christians who have a gospel to preach. So as they grow up, they realize that I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not planning to be here forever. I'll be as long as I have to be here. But that's not my purpose in life, is not to be comfortable. We need to be converted. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 1. We're actually going to read it. Not because you don't know it, but we're just going to read it together. Sometimes it's good to read something you've heard said over and over again. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Bible tells us, in the beginning, God. No explanation for how he came about. No teleological, cosmological, ontological, all the articles, arguments about why we believe. It just says, it just presents him. In the beginning, God. And then the first thing it tells us about God is that in the beginning, God created so the first thing that we learn about God in this book, which, which is all about te- telling us about God and how we can reconnect with him, it says, in the beginning, God created. So here's the story, right? God, okay, created. Did you get it? No. Don't make me run again. Okay. <laughs> God created. There is God, and then there's everything else in the entire universe that is created. Did you guys get it? Yeah, okay. This is important, because in the beginning, God created, and no matter what creator does, created will never be God. 
There is no way we can be, we can be God. Impossible. Because we weren't in the beginning. No, too late. <laughs> so in my favorite passage in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, when Lucifer says to Eve, you know, the reason why God is withholding this from you is because he knows that in the day you eat thereof, you shall be as gods. He's saying, look, I know that God has given you a specific place, a role, purpose, but are you sure that the place that God has given to you is the right place for you? I mean, shouldn't you have a say? I mean, like, maybe you could be something else. So you start to see that in the universe... There is God, and there's everything else created. And when God creates, he sets things in a certain place. He gives things a certain role. And we're happiest when we're living in accordance with the role that God has given to us. And I I struggled with that concept because I'm all about independence, you know. I went to a women's college, um, which boasts some well-known alumni, Hillary Clinton, um, Marilyn Albright, uh, Shang Kai Shek's wife. Uh, <laughs> and it's all about like freedom. I can do it. I got this. D, uh, D I Y. Do it yourself. You don't need anybody else. And I I think maybe it's because I came to America and this got more deeply ingrained in me. This society has a serious independence problem. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody else. I got this. I don't need your help. I can do it. And it's only when you get to the very, 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 very extreme, maybe you'll accept help. And even then, sometimes people don't accept help. I have never seen a society so lonely. Surrounded by people and yet unable to connect. And we can't connect. Why? Because I got this. I got my own space. I'm in charge of this area. I'll handle this stuff. You handle your own business. I handle my business. We're happy. It happens in the church. Instead of the church being a community of people who come together, bear one another's burdens, church becomes a place where you come to act up front, look good in front of the pulpit, sing a really nice song, and the very purpose of church lost. We're supposed to be family, community. You know, and that's one thing I appreciate when I come to GYC, I get that sense. You know, we're praying for each other. You meet people in the corridor. Let's pray together. And I'm like, why can't we just have this everywhere? This is what it should be like. Because I want to suggest to you that what the Bible, the model the Bible has is not one of independence. Neither is it one of codependence. Now, you've seen those people in codependent relationships, right? Like, you can't see him without seeing her. Like, like they're attached at the hip. Am I the only one? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm the only one. Okay. Um, 
where, where you, it's like they have no individuality. No personal sense of this is my purpose in life. I'll do anything he says or, or he'll do anything she says. Ellen White says, before you're getting married, you better know what God has called you to do. You better know who you are, your purpose in life. And then you don't give that up just to be with somebody. But the problem is, we're getting into relationships before we have a relationship with God. Before we know Him. Before we know His will for our lives. So I don't know. People talk about, you know, there's an age. Oh, she's too young, too old. I think like, nobody should be, as Adventists, nobody should be getting... Um, is that a right word to use? No, that's not right. Nobody should be getting connected in an intimate uh, relationship for the purpose of marriage until, unless, they have a relationship with Jesus first. And that's how codependence happens. And I want to suggest to you that the Bible's model is not independence. Like, I don't need you. And it's not codependence, I can't live without you. My life is so empty, I fall to pieces every time you walk out the room. No, the Bible's model... <laughs> sorry. The Bible's model is interdependence. Interdependence. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 12. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Then he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, And the question becomes, I mean, we don't believe in righteousness by works, so what is he talking about, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? And a lot of times, this is what I've heard people then say, oh, well, but look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you see, work out your salvation is, does not really mean work out your salvation. It means that let God work out your salvation. Okay. But what I'm reading here is, Paul says, work out your own salvation. Why? Because God is working in you. That means you have a role to play. And let's not run away from that. We have a part to play in this thing. There is a work that God is calling us to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. Because God is taking his part seriously. He took it so seriously, he took it all the way to the cross. Now you have a role to play too. And we've been talking about it already. So as he said with Abraham, Abraham, I want to do this for you. This is what I have for your life. I just need you to trust me. And because you trust me, I want you to obey. Abraham gets caught up trying to do God's part. And God says, I never asked you to make the nation. I will make a nation of you. I never asked you to do that. I asked you to trust me. 
and because you trust me, obey me. That's what I've asked you to do. That is the work that I want for you to do. We get caught up trying to do God's work. And so this idea of interdependence means that everyone has a role to play. I have a role to play. God has a role to play. And in my salvation, I have a role to play. God has a role to play. Read a quote for you from Spirit of Prophecy. This is from Acts of the Apostle, page 482. She's commenting on this very text. She says, The work of gaining salvation is one of co-partnership, a joint operation. There is to be cooperation between God and the repentant sinner. Now, I'm not preaching righteousness by works. Please don't misquote me. I'm talking about there is a work for us to do, which is a work of trusting God. We're to cooperate with him in the work that he wants to do in us. We have a role to play. And so we went to Genesis chapter 1, which said, In the beginning, God created. And ever since sin came, created has been trying to be God. Impossible. And not even a good idea. Now here's the thing, you know, when we talk about interdependence, it's not a a conversation about equality. Okay? Um, It's not I put in 50%, you put in 50%. Um, Here's what I mean. God has this role to play. He's got this part. And I got my part to pay, play, and, and I'm suggesting my part to play is to trust and obey. And God has his, sorry, God has his part to play. And imagine if God was like, okay, Siku, let's do this 50-50, right? Because, I mean, I'm just, I'm just carrying a heavy load here on my part. So, you know, one of the things that I do as God is I number the hairs on people's heads, okay? I, I'm not going to ask you to number the hairs on everybody's head because that's a big job. But could you just number the hairs on Siku's head? And then, and then could you decipher which ones uh, were, were, were planted on her head and which ones grew out of her skull? <laughs> you would have a hard time. We, we, you know, we sometimes think, oh, well, you know, I, I'm going to put in 50%, other person puts in 50%. But that's not how interdependence works because when you have different roles, you have different capabilities. And your capabilities are geared towards the role that you have. And that's okay. And because I'm not the same as you, you can do things that I can't do. That's why we need each other. And so in human-to-human interaction, we're called to bear one another's burdens, to depend on one another. But in order to do that aright, we have to have a sense of our own identity. And, and I want to make this, uh, this distinction as well. You know, there's independence of thought, and then there's independence of living. Independence of thought is being able to think for yourself. 
Okay? That's being able to look at a situation and think through the situation and make an assessment, make a decision. Okay? Uh, it manifests itself sometimes as common sense. Right? You know, just being able to process things for yourself. And how many of you go to secular universities here? Show of hands. Okay. All right. I feel bad for you. <laughs> because, I mean, I went to a secular university. And by the way, if you've never read the book Education, you need to read it. Because when I read that, it was after I'd finished college, and I thought, I have been miseducated all my life. Because in school, they teach you to sit there and listen, but there's no action that follows it. So they teach you to think, but there's no do that follows. Or they teach you to do without thinking. Whereas true education is the power to think and to do. And so we need to be re-educated, a lot of us, so that we can think and do. So we can be capable of having independent thought. And God is counting on that. You know, when Ellen White talks about what salvation looks like, she says, you know, we put our will on the side of God. But if you ain't got no will to put on the side of God, you're in trouble. The power to think and to do. Independent thought. But then there's the independent living, where I don't think I need the other person. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 20, and we're winding down. Exodus chapter 20, and verse 8, it reads... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Did you hear it? Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. I.e., I want you to do something. For, remembering the Sabbath is not about, oh, well, you know, I don't do anything. You know. He's like, I want you to do something for six, six days, labor and do all thy work. And he says, but the seventh day... It's the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And then he tells us not to do any work in that day. And this is why in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so he says, Sabbath, the experience of Sabbath, is to remind you that in six days... God created everything. That in six days, God created. And whenever you come to the Sabbath, you need to remember this, that God created. And so when you're resting from your work, you're realizing that even though I can do stuff, whatever I do will never get me over there. No matter what I do, I'll never be God. And we're to remember that. I want to propose as well, that the Sabbath reminds us that I need to do something. I need to put my trust in him. I need to depend on him. I need to rely on him. So that the Sabbath as a memorial in creation becomes a, a barrier, a, a, 
uh, it prevents us from falling into apostasy. You know, Ellen White says how you know if the children, if the if God's people had kept the Sabbath, they would never have been an infidel. That the Sabbath is supposed to be that kind of an experience, and so how do we remember the Sabbath day, not just on Saturday? How do we remember the Sabbath day throughout the week? Here's how we remember the Sabbath day throughout the week. God, I am dependent upon you. I rely on you. I realize you're the creator, you're the sustainer of the universe. And that every breath that I take is a gift from you. I realize that. And I choose to place my trust in you. And because I trust you, I will obey you. And thus, every single day of the week, we remember the principle of the Sabbath. That God is creator. We're not. His role is to be creator. Our role is to trust and obey. And that becomes the life of the Christian. Are you following me? Is anyone completely lost? going to make an appeal. Um, it's not a stand up and come forward kind of an appeal. But my appeal is this. Maybe people in here who have their own plans for their lives and you've been here at UIC and it's become abundantly clear to you that maybe God is calling you to something else. That maybe that life of respectable conventionality that was the goal, maybe that ought not to be the goal. There may be someone in here who's, who's already had that thought because you've been listening to the messages, you've been listening to the something is happening, and you're like, God is calling me to do something. And maybe you don't even know what yet. But you want to say in your heart today, you want to say, I will obey because I trust you. That I'm not the one who makes my life what I want my life to be. That I put my life in your hands. And then God, whatever you want to do with me, do it. There's a song that I used to hate, a hymn. I used to hate. Um, I love hymns in general, but this one I didn't like. It's called, I'll Go Where You Want Me To Go. And... Every time we would sing that in church, I would get so mad. I will get angry. And I'll look at everyone around me and I'll be like, are you serious? That's in my heart. I didn't say it. But I'm thinking, are you serious? Right? You will really go where he wants you to What if he wants you to go somewhere you don't want to go? And that was my problem with the song. I was like, well, I'll go where you want me to go if it's somewhere that I want to go. <laughs> like, why couldn't they just add that little adage, you know? I'll go where you want me to go, if it's where I want to go. <laughs> but it's the kind of life that says, I will go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. And the role that you have selected for me, see, when we get to heaven, God has a purpose for our lives there too. And this thing of rebelling against, oh, well, I don't want to do it. Just, you know, I'm not going to get there because you'll be unhappy in heaven. 
and still be rebelling, same thing that Lucifer did. What God is calling us to do, and, and I, I hope that we had a strong enough foundation on the trust and obey part that you understand this is not a legalistic kind of thing. They're saying, if you want to say that I am actually worthy of your trust, and in this controversy where Satan is claiming that, you know, my character is not worthy of trust because I'm selfish, and, but if you want to be one of those arguments that says, you know what, no, God is worthy of my trust, and because I trust him so much, I'll put my life in his hands. I'll go, say, do whatever he wants for me to go wherever and whatever, He wants me to go say do. If that's you, I invite you to raise your hand because this is between you and God. And God is seeing those hands. This is saying, I haven't been doing this. I want to do this. This is saying, I have not been doing this. I need to clarify. This is saying, I haven't been doing this. I want to do this now. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to put my life in your hands. And whatever you ask me to do, even if it looks uncomfortable, I will do it. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, you see the hands that are raised. And I know, Lord, that we all struggle with this because we have our own plans for our lives. We have the way society has told us to think. We have the way we've been raised. We have all these goals that we have. And sometimes it's hard to just let go and trust you. But Father, in the Sabbath experience, we see that you are God and you created us. That your role is to make of us what you see fit. And we just need to surrender and put ourselves into your hands. Father, we pray that our experience on a day-to-day basis would be this kind of an experience. Not so people can see and praise but because we love you. I want to pray, especially for these hands that are raised, that you would make it abundantly clear what your will is for their lives. That you would send the Holy Spirit, even this weekend, especially on this Sabbath day, to speak to their hearts, to show them what it is you're calling them to. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that even though you're a God and you're so great, that you choose to condescend to minister to us. In surrender, Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.